Hi, I'm Alon. And I'm Marzi. And you're listening to the first episode of Game Misconduct. Uh, so we're going to start off with a quick recap of what's been going on in the hockey world, uh, because there's been quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, outside of the Eastern Conference Finals and the Western Conference Finals, there's been stuff, but we do want to talk about hockey first. Uh, how about those fucking Panthers, guys? God damn! <laughs> fucking Matthew Kachuk is just the way he is. <laughs> like, every team has just, he's been a pain in their ass. He you know? said, you know, they're gonna call me a rat. I'm gonna make them fucking regret that. And, like, he is. I mean, shout out to Bobrovsky, too, though. Like, mm-hmm. I do love me a good goalie. We know I love me a good goalie. I know you love you a good goalie. And Absolutely. he has come in absolutely clutch which is like a hell of a thing for a guy who people were calling the highest paid backup goalie like i mean even just like the absolute flex of chucker coming from calgary and bob coming from the fucking jackets and being in the cup finals this year together I mean, it's like, and I mean, nobody thought the Panthers could do it. I, You know me, I'm a Pens fan, and I'm mm-hmm. just sitting here like, imagine if we didn't lose to two of the three worst-ranked teams in the league. Like, yeah. what would have happened then? Every time the Panthers win a series, that's the immediate first thought is, we wouldn't even be here if the Pens did not choke. But, like, speaking of the Pens, <laughs> fucking Kyle! <laughs> fucking Kyle! Oh my god, and I mean... Thank God. I really, I was hoping, but I was also mm-hmm. like, listen, as a Pens fan, I know we're a little bit delusional. We're a little bit crazy. It's the Sidney Crosby effect. But, like, we did it, boys. I mean, as of recording this episode, we found out about maybe eight hours ago that this was a thing happening today. So it's still very new information for us. And we are still processing fucking Kyle. <laughs> fucking Kyle. What a win for the entire Penguins organization. What a win for gay people. What a win for gay people. Uh, on the Western side of things, Dallas, we were, we were all rooting for you. It's just absolutely hilarious to me as a Wild fan to see them choke in Game 6, even if I wanted them to win. Just because we also choked in Game 6 to them. And I mean, like, what a choke. I mean, they're, they're not like a shabby team. They've got top-tier goaltending. They've got Jason fucking Robertson. I mean, what happened? Jamie Ben came back from suspension. This is what happens when you don't eat pussy. <laughs> Listen, I you can say all you want about Jamie Ben's production this year, but I genuinely think that was bad for team morale because the next guy up mentality is what got them those two wins. No, absolutely. They said, you know, we have to step up. Like, we're we're on the edge here. Our captain got kicked out. We've got to step up. And he came back, and they got complacent, and they got torn up. The same thing happened to the Wild when Kirill Kaprizov, he was out for a month on injury. That was the best month of our season. And he came back, and we fucking first round exited. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said, like, about about the way that having having your best player out, not that Jamie Benn is the star's best player, no. but having a good <laughs> player out uh, sort of pushes pushes you to new heights, I guess. Ryan Reeves scored more goals in that one month than he did the rest of the season combined. Well, goddamn. There you go. There you have it. That's the statistics. <laughs> um, yeah, Dallas, it was 
I was disappointed in that. Not like I'm not like a diehard Dallas fan or anything by any means, but it just didn't feel like a satisfying conclusion. There was no like satisfying battle, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would have liked to see a little more fight from them. That's what it was. There was no fight. They just sort of laid down and rolled over. They fizzled. Against the fucking Golden Knights of all people. Fucking, those ugly ass uniforms. If we have to wash this with the cup, I'm gonna lose it. Oh my god, it's just wrong. Speaking of the Golden Knights, can we talk about how Phil Kessel has made it to yet another Stanley Cup final without lifting a pretty little finger? And we are so proud of him over here in the world of the Pens fans. That's our boy, Phil Kessel and Teddy Bluger. Like, Philly's been rocking in the press box. He's probably had, like, 20 hot dogs already. Like, my man's chowing. (laughs) He hasn't lifted a pretty little finger, and he's deserved it. He's played how many games now? Like, every fucking game of the last 10 seasons? I mean, it's a little bit insane. His production is like... I mean, the man's gotta retire eventually. I like how they didn't scratch him until the playoffs so they didn't fuck up his record. Honestly, good for him. He's earned it. He deserves it. Speaking of former pens on the Golden Knights, how about our man, Teddy Bluger? Fucking Teddy Bluger. He, this is his, like, villain tour. Like, this is his, like, not like a redeeming tour, but, like, this is just his villain arc, and I'm here for it. The pens traded him and that juicy hockey butt of his over to the Golden Knights, and he said, oh, we want to play like that? Fuck you. And now look who's in the Stanley Cup finals and who didn't even make it to the playoffs. It's just the Penguins have such a hand in this final without even fucking making it. And that's I'm telling so funny. you, main characters of the hockey world. Every main character from this season, like, it's the Penguins or has been a Penguin. It's it's It all comes back to the Penguins eventually. Speaking of the conferences, I know that the trophies are old as fuck they're traditional can we talk about the fucking names of them for a second oh my god yeah and like big shout out to taylor haas for bringing this up in a beautifully written article you all should go check it out one of my favorite pens reporters of all time um what the fuck are these names well the eastern conference is over here with the prince of wales trophy me personally, I don't give much of a fuck about, like, royalty and shit like that. So I didn't know this until I read Taylor's article. Again, thank you, Taylor. Big shout out. Um, he was a Nazi sympathizer. Like, real buddies said Hitler made some valid points. That sort of thing. Not the kind of guy we necessarily want to be honoring with a big trophy. Sure, he donated a shit ton of money for it back in the day, but, like, he's dead now. We could move on. You know, we've got some great Jews in the league. Like, I, me personally, as a Jewish person myself, it's huge for me to see players like Zach Hyman, Jason Sucker, like, tearing it up out there. And I don't think we should be making them lift a trophy named after a Nazi sympathizer. Absolutely not. And, I mean, on the topic of, like, Jewish players, the fucking Hughes brothers, who are well within range of reaching and lifting that trophy in the next couple of years, are fucking Jewish. I don't want, like, a Jewish person being forced to lift that cup. And I know, realistically, they won't touch it because of fucking superstitions. But I wouldn't fucking touch it either. It's not like there isn't precedent for renaming these awards after more appropriate uh, more appropriate recipients, like the Ted Lindsay Award. And I say, if we're going to rename the Nazi Award, which, 
I, for one, would highly advocate for, why not rename the Clarence Campbell Award? And um, Clark Ramusen, who writes for the DetroitHockey.net, which is a Detroit beat writing website, he made a very, very good point about Mr. Gary Bettman, is that when Gordie Howe passed, he made the promise of a special and enduring and permanent recognition. And I hate when a Detroit fan has a good point, but that's a good fucking point. Right. So I say, you know, maybe we don't touch the Clarence Campbell one. Maybe we do. But we for damn sure should be named the Prince of Wales Trophy. While we're on the topic of trophies, Stanley Cup, what are we thinking? I just, as a Southerner, it really, really warms my heart for there to be a desert and an Everglades hockey team in the finals. Like, regardless of how I feel about either team, I am ecstatic that it'll be a first-time winner and it'll be a Southern team. I mean, you know, I'm not from the South. I'm 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 a New Yorker through and through. But like, so huge, so great. Like, obviously, a massive example of growing the game. Like, you know, when you think hockey, you think Canada. You don't think Florida. But here we are with Florida and Vegas in the playoffs, and it's great. That being said, more than seeing that cup go to a Southern team, what I'm excited for this Stanley Cup final is to see what Brady Kachuk gets drunk on in that press box. All right, I have some thoughts about this, okay? You ready? Hit me, hit me with them. So this season um, in the playoffs, Brady's been sticking to wine. He's been classy. He's been drunk, but he's been classy about it. But I really think that if this goes past game five, that man's turning to liquor. I don't care if they even let it in the arena. He's not drinking beer or wine. I'm telling you, if this goes past game five, I'm turning to liquor. So I can't imagine (laughs) what Brady's got to be feeling. (laughs) Like, he's got a hip flask on him. I just know he does. And good for him. I think he should, like, really class it up. Get one of those, like, the straw goggles. You know, the ones where (laughs) it, it goes right down into your mouth. I think he should get really wild with it. I think he should get one of those wine bras that you can, like, put wine in the padding. Oh, yeah. I mean, what are they going to do? Say, Brady Kachuk, since when do you have breasts? He has breasts. (laughs) Oh, you know what? I think Brady Kachuk's rack, or lack thereof, is an excellent place to end this section of our podcast. (laughs) Uh, And with that, we'll move on to our tweet of the week. Who let the fags into hockey? This question has been troubling philosophers for decades. Can confirm as a philosophy major, they're here. You can tell you're listening to a podcast by two of them, but who let them in? Who opened that fucking door? Because, you know, that door is pretty closed, closed pretty tightly right now. So, like, first of all, who closed the door? More on that later. Who opened the door to the fags in hockey? That's the real question. My answer, absolutely social media. We know damn well it's not the league. It's not a hell of a lot of the players. But if you go on Twitter and you search up any guy in hockey's name with baby girl next to it, there will be a 17-year-old trans man talking about him. Shout out to my 17-year-old trans mask baby girl mutuals. (laughs) And they're also my mutuals, so that shout out's for me too. (laughs) We've got sort of a couple of different, like, subcultures. We've got Hockey Twitter, which is sort of the main focus of this episode. It is where Marzi and I met. Uh, and on there, you've got a pretty pretty even balance of, like, 
hardcore analytics, you know, numbers, 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 guys. And then people who just want to dress these these six foot three men up in in cat ears. Yeah, and you know what's really interesting is when those two sides interact, that's how we get tweets like today's tweet of the day. Right. Like I'm sure it's fairly obvious, but just to be clear, this was not a cute tongue-in-cheek reference by a gay person themselves. This was someone actually furious at the idea that someone with, bear with me here, pronouns in their bio could possibly be into hockey. And it's just such a weird environment to me because these people exist on Twitter. They have their little group chats. It's the boys. And they are just one thin line away from discovering the other side of hockey Twitter at any moment. And sometimes they cross over and unfortunate tweets like that happen. Right. And the other side of hockey Twitter spreads itself onto a couple of other social media websites that tend to have less of the numbers, guys. There's Hockey Tumblr, which personally wouldn't recommend unless you're really into a lot of pornography about hockey men, in which case go crazy, start searching those names, have fun. And then there's Hockey TikTok which straddles an interesting line between heterosexual women and queer hockey fans, as opposed to hockey Twitter, which tends to be more of the heterosexual men. Uh, Hockey TikTok is all about women lusting over sexy hockey guys or gay men lusting over sexy hockey guys. And it's created this interesting section of book talk, which was originally all just about books and different books. I know... A uh, Court of Thorns and Roses was a big one that got its start on TikTok on BookTok. Colleen Hoover, they all got their popularity from these TikTok algorithms pushing them to heterosexual women that wanted romance novels. And somewhere, I would say probably about six, seven months ago, it started pushing hockey and hockey romances to the forefront of the TikTok algorithm. And it's gone so far now that the actual social media admins of these pages in the NHL are posting about book talk. And it's such an interesting cultural phenomenon because you'll look at these teams, Twitters, and it's like, oh, we traded for this guy or this guy got a raise. And then you go to their TikTok and you're like, here's Sebastian Ajo. You should like lust after him and pretend he's your book character. I mean... That's one way to market, I will say that. And it seems like it works. So, you know. I mean, it does work. That's the, like, craziest part is it's so easy to just change your marketing based on which of these crowds you're trying to market towards. And they are very different crowds. We can see that hockey and hockey culture and hockey fandom is honestly not as welcoming to queer people as certain sides of Twitter would lead Mm -hmm. you to believe. It's interesting because the this giant group of queer people on Twitter has looked at hockey culture and have said, no, this is a place for me. And a lot of them are 15-year-olds with a really intense interest in the same way that when I was 15, I was really into One Direction. It's a same kind of fandom experience, but they're looking at these spaces that are saying, we're not for you. And they're saying, yeah, you are. You don't have a choice. Right. And on the topic of the spaces saying we're not for you, we could not do an episode about queers and hockey without talking about the Pride Night cancellations. Uh, It is, as we record this, the first day of Pride Month. Woohoo, gay people. Um, But the Pride Night 
drama, if you want to call it that, was actually, you know, a few months ago when several teams started canceling their Pride Nights. And it's easy to look at all the people that were outspoken about it and look at their teams. For example, the Stahl Brothers, who, speaking of the Cup Final, we'll be seeing a lot more of. Um, it's easy to look at these players and make statements and be like, that team definitely has an issue. But then you see teams like the Minnesota Wild who bring hundreds of queer people to their Pride Night and John Merrill hosts at least 100 of them at his home after the game and they didn't wear their jerseys and they decided 15 minutes before the Pride jerseys were supposed to be on the ice that they weren't wearing them. And it's important when talking about these Pride cancellations to acknowledge that it's every team. Like, this culture runs deep and in the Minnesota Wilds instance, um... They didn't out the guy that had an issue. Um, And that's not to say, like I said, John Merrill, he is a strong ally, that there's not players that are avidly supporting Pride Night. I know Matthew Chachak made a statement. Yeah, and Jack Hughes actually came out this morning. Sorry, let me rephrase that. (laughs) Jack Hughes made a video this morning discussing his and his family's support for the queer community and for Pride, he did not actually come out. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, we've got a lot of players who support it, but the culture and the team is still protecting these players who don't. I mean, can you imagine what would happen if, like, if a, if a hockey player refused to wear the military jersey, claiming that their religion was nonviolent or something like that? There would be an uproar. But we let them get away with not wearing the pride jerseys because hockey is and hockey always has been a place for cisgendered, able-bodied, heterosexual white men. And as much as, you know, those barriers are breaking, we've got, I mean, as much as that's changing, we've got these amazing players of color. We've got Jason Robertson. We've got Nazem Kadri. We've got Luke Prokope in, down in the WHL right now, which is so huge. The first out um, professional hockey player, I mean... I just can't imagine what he goes through. It He's incredible and inspiration to all of us. But, like, as much as we're breaking down these barriers, those barriers are still there. It's just that some people are able to find a way through them. And it's interesting how this boys club mentality tries to continue. I mean, you brought up Kadri and Reimer. When he was making his statement about his religious beliefs, he had brought Kadri into it. And he said... Well, Kadri's Muslim, so he's not going to wear it. But Kadri said, I would not feel disrespected at all. I will obviously probably want to wear the jersey, and I wouldn't have that expectation for anyone else to wear it. But at the end of the day, it's my choice. And so they're trying to hold so tightly onto this, if we all believe it, then that's the opinion of the league. And they're putting words in each other's mouths over it. Right. While we're talking about... Pride Night cancellations. I do want to mention some of the things the NHL has done to honor Pride Nights, and I do want to talk about Brendan Burke, because we would be remiss to talk about Pride and talk about queer people in hockey without talking about Brendan Burke. So, this thread that I got a lot of these notes and a lot of this information from is from at JokerKenny7 on Twitter, um, a member of the said hockey Twitter that we were talking about. Um, And I'm just going to kind of read them in order and we can talk about each of them and just kind of discuss some of the implications of where things were even a decade ago. Um, But in 2010, the Stanley Cup was a part of its first Pride Parade. 
It was hoisted by Brent Sopel to honor Brendan Burke, who passed away earlier in the year. And if you don't know who Brendan Burke is, I very much implore you to watch the documentary about him. But he was an athlete. He was a student manager at Miami University in Ohio. Um, He was the son of Brian Burke, who was the formal general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And in 2009, he came out and advocated against um, homophobia and professional supports. And he was widely supported. And of course, it was 2009, so he was widely also not. Um, But he was seen as a pioneer in advocating against homophobia in hockey. And he's been described as the closest person to the NHL to ever come out publicly and say that he's gay. Um, Unfortunately, Brendan was killed in a car crash on February 5th, 2010, and following his death, they founded the Brendan Burke Internship with USA Hockey. The documentary was published through CBC, and that came out in November 2010, and his death was the catalyst for the formation of You Can Play. So that year, 2010, shortly after he had passed, the Stanley Cup was in its first Pride Parade to honor him. And I think it's really important to talk about that because that cup was hoisted in the honor of a gay person. And with the way the league's acting now, it doesn't feel like that's a part of our history. Um, And I talked about You Can Play, but on March 4th, 2012, um, it was launched. And if you're not familiar with You Can Play, it's an organization to help end the rampant homophobia in sports and it was in honor of Brendan Burke Um, and it's an official partner of not just the NHL but other sports and so another part of kind of how pride has developed in the NHL kind of to where we are today um, in 2016 former Edmonton Oilers captain Andrew Ference um, he contacted the creators of pride tape to provide some for the team during the skill competition, and that was the first time Pride Tape was used on NHL equipment team-wide. And so that's where that tradition actually comes from on Pride Nights. That's incredible. I mean, for me, I know, like, as a queer person into hockey, it's like seeing these players, the jerseys, they're for warm-ups, they take them off, but a lot of players use Pride Tape the whole night, and that's a huge Mm. thing. It's them saying, like, this isn't something that I have to do, although apparently nobody even has to wear the jerseys anymore. But they're saying, you know, I'm not just doing this because the team hung a jersey in my locker. I'm doing this because I want you to feel seen and I want you to feel supported and accepted. And I really just, that's really important. I think you're really going to like this next one. Are you ready? (laughs) I'm so fucking ready. Hit me with it. In 2018, former NHLer George Larocque won, not just competed in, won the Montreal Pride drag competition in support of queer people in Montreal. He would later post on Twitter that in 2018, it is inconceivable that we still have to fight against homophobia. And I'm looking at the picture. His waist is snatched. He's got on a pretty white dress and a veil. Red, bright red wig. Like, he's serving. Oh, and good for him. And good for him. I think, especially as we have these you know, these bands criminalizing drag and stuff like that for, for, you know, people, for players who people look up to for athletes, you know, they're sort of like, they're stars, they're celebrities. And so for them to say like, look, it's fine. I'm doing it. 
I'm not turning your kids gay, but if I were, having a gay kid would be fine, you know, whatever, like, it's really powerful, especially, again, because of how much sports is sort of entrenched in this, like, homophobic culture. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, um, very recently, as of two years ago, we talked about Luke Prokop. Um, he came out as gay, making him the first player signed to an NHL contract to be openly queer. And he's not a bad player. I know a lot of guys, like the homophobes on that side of Twitter, they want to argue, well, a gay man can't play hockey. He's on his way to his third WHL Cup. I mean, it's a little bit ridiculous, honestly. Like, maybe we should keep gay people out of hockey because they'll just be better than the rest of us. Like, Like, can you imagine, like, the power of gay people and, like, Connor McDavid's skills combined? (laughs) Well, who knows? Who knows? Connor, if you are bisexual, not (laughs) intending to invalidate you. Keep being you, King. Just on the running (laughs) assumption of what he has made publicly known, can you imagine if he was gay? He'd be unstoppable. Oh my god, his power would just increase (laughs) to, like, exponential heights. Like, gay people are good at hockey. I just fucking, I mean, look at women's hockey. If we're gonna talk about queer people in hockey, uh... Obviously, there's there's still issues, don't get me wrong. Women's hockey is not a perfect paradise of, like, liberal queers. But you've got a lot of gay women out there. Marie-Philippe Pouline just recently got engaged to a woman, and that's huge. I mean, she's she's Captain Canada. She's the, f- the female equivalent of Sidney Crosby. She is one of, if not the most talented hockey players in the world. And so for her also to be publicly out is fucking huge and once again proof gay people play better hockey look um that being said while we're talking about pride night it's important to note that while there are teams canceling in 2022 there were 24 nhl teams that were represented in their local pride parades as well as three of the nhl headquarters um which are montreal toronto and new york and it's really easy to lose sight of the local support. So we talked about these national headlines of Remier saying that he's religious, so we can't wear it. Mark and Eric Stahl or blah, 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 blah. I think it's important to note the like local community impact that some of these players are having. I know we talked about John Merrill a little bit already, but he is a strong strong supporter in St. Paul of the queer community. He spends June taking his children to pride events. Yeah, I mean, to do that, to, like, show show people who are scared, you know, think of the children. They're scared of what could happen to their kids. And so for him, for someone so public to show, like, I'm fine with it. I want my kids to be exposed to tolerance and to people from all walks of life, and I'm perfectly comfortable taking them to these pride events. It's huge. Like, Talking, talking about pride in the NHL can be super negative because, again, it is a boys' club. It's There's mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of work to do, but there's a lot of work that's been done already, and it's important not to lose sight of that. Like, we have a history, and it's a short history because it's had to be, but we have a history here, and they can't take away the fact that we're going to still be here, whether it's an accepting space or not because that's how queer people have survived in just society 
we have said no we are allowed to be here and we have made our spaces and obviously the NHL's not there yet the NHL might not be there yet but it's gonna get there we're gonna keep working and keep pushing forward because with the power of a lot of fucking gay people behind you you can achieve pretty much anything And you know what? Think about how powerful it's going to be when Luke debuts as an NHL player. Think of all of the young guys that are queer, that are in hockey, that are going to see that. Think about when Luke gets married, and that's going to be publicized probably more than the regular marriages of players in the summertime. But what if he takes his husband's last name? That'll be a first, and that'll be a moment where... They can't take that queer joy away. And honestly, that's part of why we need gay misconduct. For queer people, a puck pod by the gays, for the gays, all of that. Yes, but also in general, we want this to be a space for everyone whose voices aren't heard in hockey. For the people of color, the disabled people, people who aren't cis, people who aren't heterosexual. Pretty much everybody who feels cast aside or pushed aside by the mainstream hockey community This is your space. We're here for you. And as that safe space, we'll do what queer people have done for centuries. We're going to force our way into it. We're going to make that space. Because I don't know about you, but I don't feel comfortable being told I don't belong somewhere. Because we do belong here. And so, to end this episode, as is fitting for Pride Month, let me just say, welcome to Gay Misconduct. We're here We're queer. Get used to it. If you would like to learn more or to interact with us on Twitter, where we reside, um, you can follow us at Game Misconduct. That's game with a Y. And if you interact with our tweets, we will interact back and we would love to hear from you and to hear your thoughts and to hear anything you'd like us to discuss in the future. Just come hang out. We'll see you there.